Welcome to Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're two best friends entering the world of true crime. We'll be sharing the stories of some of the worst and wildest true crime cases in history and we're taking you along for the ride. In this episode, we're looking at the man famously known as the Serpent and also the Bikini Killer. This is Charles Sabrage. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am thriving, man. Thriving. I love right. It's, it's she's peach. thirty. She's flirty. She's, she's thriving. thriving. Plus two years. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> it's been a while since you were thirty, Helen. <laughs> we're in peak British summer, and I am loving it. This year, I really feel like I'm embracing every single opportunity that has thrown at me in terms of just going out and having fun. We went paddleboarding last weekend, didn't we? We did, yeah. I totally mummed about it. Like, and I hated myself for it. Like, before I left, I was like, oh, well, it's going to be, it's cloudy, but you can still get burnt through clouds, so I'm taking sun cream, and we're going to be on the water, so there'll be bugs that like to bite people, so I'm taking bug spray, but I won't put it on while I've still got Sylvie, because it's got DEET in it, so I'll wait until I'm away from the baby, and then, it just in case we do get bitten, I'm bringing bite cream. Oh, God. Yeah, and I'm like, just just be fun, Dan. Stop it. But then what did I do? I left all the stuff in your car because I got all in my head like, oh, I'm such a mum, shut up. And then what did I do? I got burnt. I got fucking bitten and it was really itchy because I didn't have the cream. <laughs> i tell you what you did do, though. You saved my dogs multiple times from drowning in that reeds. It was an adventure, wasn't it? It was. I had a lovely time. It was really peaceful and fun. But So I've got two dogs. Right? i got Diane sausage she's just like she's devil child but she does like to just lay down and chill when i'm doing stuff like that lola however hunter dog was oh like my god st- stood right at the end of my paddleboard the whole time just like sniffing and like on alert just don't know why she was just on the hunt for something you know cartoons like <laughs> you know there was that guy with the gun the will 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 whatever what was his name? <laughs> it's like a, like a Warner Brothers. That's like what yeah. he said. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. With the bull's head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Um, yeah. I swear there was one, like, it was always that style of cartoon where the dog would be like, doing, and yeah. it would be straight, like with a paw in the air, like an arrow. Yes, and yes, that yes. is Lola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she kept forgetting that she was surrounded by water, so she kept trying to jump off to go get something, and then would immediately be like, help me, mama, mama help. Help, help me. <laughs> so we ended up, like, just tying her to the paddleboard, so every time she tried to jump in, we'd just was like rain her in yep and we do i realize that we do this every time we do something fun but now it's like we should get paddle boards let's paddle board all the time like uh, let's go here yeah. you need a license i've looked into it and then like i didn't I haven't told you yet but my my mum went paddle boarding the other day she's like i'm gonna get a paddle board oh, go yeah. to, you guys should go here to where we just went paddle boarding <laughs> all right let's all go with our paddle boards it's funny because i was thinking the other day oh i should probably order my paddle board and then i looked at my diary and was like when am i ever gonna have the time to go paddle boarding in the next five weeks i'm not gonna have the time to go paddle boarding that sucks i'm really impressed of you that you did that rather than just buying it and then being like I don't have time (laughs) yeah I'm a bit sad I don't have the time I'm sad you don't have the time yeah because it's like because you know July and August I think are just wild because there's weddings there's trips away there's just bits like parties barbecues and then you realize oh I actually have no time 
this is one of those things. This sounds things. like we're about to do an ad, doesn't it? What? But it's not. It's just one of those things that, like, when you're an adult, you just don't have time for yourself. You know, <laughs> like, no, this is just us. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Um, but like. Is it one of those things where like you have to make the time? Could we go paddle boarding at eight o'clock in the evening because it doesn't get dark until half past ten? That is 10? true. That is true. Yeah, I couldn't. I guess because I. I think it is important asleep, but... to make time. For, oh, this sounds yeah. like our. It does sound like it our does, thing, doesn't it? it? But it's true. <laughs> it's very integrated, and you know, this is it, why organic. our is so authentic. Yeah, because they are. <laughs> but I. Uh, so last two weeks, I have been so busy, like just having all the fun, and I've had a great time, no regrets. But this week. I felt like really flat because my social battery was drained. My general battery was drained. I came on my period and I was just like, oh. God, I just need to be alone. Life like, really gave you a good kick it there, did. didn't it? And I was just like, oh no, but I love having fun. But also, it's not sustainable to do it all the time. <laughs> like, no! ten, 10 years ago, right, was that still the case? Like, what? is this ageing catching up with us? Like, Perhaps. I love having fun. I love having fun, but I just need a little break. <laughs> so a little, a little, a little break from the fun. I know. <laughs> I had a little self. Just want to, just want to clean the kitchen. I did have a wellness Wednesday this week. Did for you? The first time in ages. Did you know what I did? I cleaned the house. I cleaned my hair, and I put <laughs> some tan on. And I just needed that day. Oh yeah, Helen was naked in her garden. Yeah, I did my. I was on my laptop doing Tan. emails in the nude. I just feel like if I die and anybody goes through my phone, they're just going to see like a picture of you in the nude in the garden, like in yeah. the and be like, "Who the fuck is this woman?" <laughs> like a load of like really awful memes that are going to send me send me straight to hell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just occasional one of my nudes. Yeah, like the odd, the odd like Helen's ass or tit or Helen's like grazed knee, and then me. Oh, my phone camera opened on me, and it looked like this. (laughs) Butchin. Yeah, and like dirty nappies. I went for a stage the other day of having to just take pictures. You would take. Okay, never send me the picture of that. I won't. Okay. Like I thought, I might have to seek medical attention. Oh, Sylvie. So I was taking pictures of poo. And I forgot to delete them, so there they are. That's disgusting. Mum life, hashtag. Uh, Nobody told me that when you start giving them solids, like, Mm. she just shit constantly for, like, a week. Gross. It was terrible. Well, that's going to happen. It's like with dogs, isn't it? Well, it makes sense. You change the food up and they get the shit. But, like, it's just constant, constant. Every, like, two hours. More pee. (laughs) Sorry. Just something came into my brain, right? You're talking about your baby. I'm trying to relate by talking about my dogs and I just immediately thought of I'm the auntie in Harry Potter that's like if the bitch isn't happy then the blah 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 you know you get blown <laughs> up float a cake yeah, on you yeah. she gets like blown up and take to Azkaban or whatever I'm like yeah that's gonna be me I'm just gonna be the dog auntie all my life so the other day me and Helen were busy being professionals in her office for a little bit oh god Sylvie's frightened of Helen and we were at like, the minute. Why, why has this the happened? Why has this happened? And um, and then Helen came in and was like, "I'm going to chop your feet off," <laughs> and brandished oh. a pair of scissors at my child. And I'm like, "Ah, oh, that's probably why." <laughs> I've always said, "Babies hate me, toddlers love me." You wait. As soon as she starts talking and understanding, she won't want to leave. Yes, yeah, because Auntie Helen lets me run with scissors. <laughs> Auntie Helen's a pirate. Yeah. I'm going to chop your feet off, Ma. <laughs> she didn't mean it, Sylvie. Put the axe down. Auntie Helen gave me a pack of fags. <laughs> Can I have 2 50 to go shop for some fags, Mum? What? They're like, what is it, 1997? No. 
So let's what, go. What are we here for today, then, Helen? We are here for Charles oh. Sabrage. There's a Netflix series. No, it's on Netflix, but I don't know if Netflix specifically made it. Called The Serpent, and I've heard of this. I've never watched yes, it. Yes, I started watching it. It was good to get a vibe, but it wasn't accurate in terms of like I wouldn't just didn't watch The Serpent and then based all of this off that because it's been altered. Is for it dramatic. a documentary or is it like no? A, it's a oh, series. It's like, oh, so they've made a series like based Dharma. off. Yeah, basically ah. the same thing, but some of it I would probably say wouldn't be that reliable in terms of a source so i didn't i didn't want i've, I've got like a few episodes in but i definitely want to continue it because it is dead interesting mm. because i love things that are set like in the 70s and stuff so it's so old, you're, old, you, you're a wrong decade person yeah yeah because soundtrack's banging on that like, <laughs> I'm like yeah cool hippies and all that sort of shit you so. definitely would have hitchhiked everywhere. oh i definitely would have yeah. and i definitely would have done the hippie trail which we're about to hear oh. about Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. I was about to be like, oh, I'm excited. No, but you, can it, you be? We do this every time. It's can you be excited? It's, it's in, we're excited by the intrigue. We're not excited yeah. by the act. Okay. So in the 70s, travellers from Europe and the USA are embarking on a journey known as the Hippies Trail, which is a 6,000 mile route that takes you from Europe, West Asia, through to South Asia going through places such as Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, Nepal, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, and then ending up in Thailand. Christ. Yeah, so some people would start in London, they would ferry across to France, or in one case this guy was talking about going to the Netherlands. You know the Lonely Planet? Yeah. The founder of Lonely Planet did the hippie trail, and I actually, because I was doing a bit of research on like what exactly it was and where it went, and he told his story of going... Oh my Started God. off in a little mini, mini Cooper, old school one. Then they sold it for, a, they got a little bus and then they got rid of that and then they hitchhiked and then they just found a random guy with a boat that took them to Australia. Oh my like God. Like that was back then when... You could never do that now, yeah. could you? Well, you can't do the hippie trail because that was before there was problems that were going on in like Afghanistan. Yeah, I was so say, you could just go. go. I, it's weird because like, obviously in most of our lifetime, countries like that have always been war-torn yeah i wonder what it was like to be able to go there and just admire the beauty of the country yeah i just think it's really actually fucking cool that we could have got a ferry to france like just across the channel and literally driven to like china or thailand we could have driven it's just a mad thought to think i'm gonna go on a road trip i'm gonna get a map i'm so all connected by land there is no sea Wow! Yeah, and actually thinking about it, it Baker's going to be listening to me this and be like, "Danny, I have told you this so many." But you times. could also then ferry across, I suppose, to Alaska or Canada. But yeah, so these travellers—they're free souls. They're looking for spiritual awakening, getting from place to place as cheaply as possible, taking up any opportunity as you would in the in the seventies, like oh, this sounds like a great idea. I've got to go do that. So they're partying, mm. they're smoking a lot of cannabis. That was a, a big part of it as well was the cannabis and, you know, taking whatever else that might it's be laying around. That you don't have a lot of money when you do it as well. You just think, sort of like mind make your way. It was generally speaking, people that were wanting up for exploring and they were kind of against the societal norms of the time. So it's, you know, they were hippies. Yeah, they were doing it on the cheap. They were hitchhiking, they were getting rides, they were staying with people, staying in hostels, like doing it as cheaply as possible because they were just out there to, you know, free, free man. So, however, 
there was a dark entity at work. Oh no. Targeting young travellers, befriending them, somewhat grooming them into believing that he can help them. And he was supplying them with drugs and opportunity. A man who is now known as the Serpent. But his days are numbered as one morning in the mid-70s, a local fisherman finds the body of a young woman on a beach in Pattaya. That's in Thailand. Local authorities start to investigate whilst more bodies are found. Dots are starting to link together and the Serpent's days are now numbered. The years of targeting innocent travellers and with a killing spree of at least 20 tourists in Southeast Asia are coming to an end. And this is how. Whoa. Yeah. So let's go back to the start. So Charles Sabrage was born in 1944 in Saigon. He was born to an Indian father and a Vietnamese mother. And Sabrage, as his birthplace, was a French colonial territory. It made him eligible for French citizenship. So it's kind of interesting because you know like how like how it works with colonies and stuff like we've got places across the world as well still from the English empire so because of where he was born and to do with his mother he was able to get a French citizenship right yeah even though he was technically he was born in Vietnam and so he was Vietnamese but his dad was Indian Indian. and and because of his mother's connection to the French colonies yeah yeah. so that's you get a gist for it right yeah so his parents split and his father denied paternity for Charles. So when his mother married a French army guy, he was French. <laughs> <laughs> I just went French army. Um, so I, I improvised there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was seamless. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> he would move between Southeast Asia and France with his new family. So he felt a bit separated from his new family, though, feeling like his new siblings were favoured and on a few occasions, he, he tried to run away. He got pretty far, actually. He was found and brought back home. As a teen, Charles committed petty crime. And he first went to prison for burglary in 1963 at Poissy Prison near Paris. This next bit is like the beginning of his like prison lifestyle. So he managed to manipulate and bribe prison guards into doing him favours. And they allowed him special treatment, such as letting him have books in his cell. So... After his time in prison, he lived a double life, essentially. So he was um, dividing his time between rubbing shoulders with high society, all swells getting involved in the criminal underworld. So, oh, yeah. During this time, he met a young Parisian woman, Chantelle Compagnon, who to whom he proposed to. But after being caught by the police on the same day of the proposal for driving a stolen car, he was sent to prison for eight months. No way. Yeah. Car, that would be so awkward. You've already said yes. And yeah. then you're like, oh. But she, oh. Yeah. <laughs> you've just been arrested, mate. <laughs> That's really unattractive. <laughs> she stood by him, though. Okay. And they got married as soon as he was released. In 1970, they left France for India and travelled through Eastern Europe carrying fake documents, stealing passports and conning travellers out of money. So you would say that he started his ways along the hippie trail. And it was so easy to take someone's passport. I guess there's a lot. To change things. It was all done by hand, wasn't it? It was all sticking bits to bits of paper. A lot of transient people. Yeah. So they would 
basically take advantage of these people that were travelling upon the hippie trail. So they eventually made it to Mumbai. Back then it was known as Bombay. And later that year, Chantel gave birth to a baby girl called Yusha. Sabraj went back to his life of crime, of car theft, smuggling, and specialising in stealing passports from American and European tourists. He started to make quite a bit of money by Ooh. doing this, yeah. But in 1973, he got caught for a failed bank robbery, but he managed to escape with the help of his wife. That's quite a step, isn't it? Yeah. I'll steal your passport. Gotta steal all your money (laughs) from the bank. The couple then moved to Kabul, where they continued their criminal activities. But after he was caught again, he escaped and fled to Iran. However, Compagnon later returned to France with their daughter, as she just had enough of it. She's like, shh. This ain't the life for me because she came from quite a good background, yeah. quite a conservative background. So she probably just, I can't do this anymore. So she cut all ties of Charles and she moved back to France so she could just live a normal life. On the run, Sabraj would use stolen passports to enter new countries. So back then, literally what you could do was he had these special tools with a particular knife or little blade. You could peel back the photo mm. on a passport without damaging it and he'd just stick his own face on it. So he did this all the time. He was always on the run. He would just nick someone's passport and just get his little craft kit out. Isn't it funny how like, because now obviously passports are so techers. And yeah. Like, when passports were first invented, whoever like was like, you know, people are just going to use them to travel. Nothing bad will come from this, will it? Like, yeah. And then somebody was like, I'm going to destroy that. (laughs) (laughs) You trusting bastard. I know. I'm going to break that trust and then just ruin it for everyone. It's just, I just, you know, I watch these documentaries and you listen, we listen to these crimes about how easy it was to just fucking forge stuff and change things. Whereas now we literally can't do bloody anything because it's all scanned. It's all digital. It's like, no, that's not registered. Because You're... people kept copying it. Because no, I know. But, things. Yeah. But, but it's just mad. Like if I could go back in time just for like a week, I'd be a right dick. I'd be well, like, yeah. I'm going to forge this shit. I'm going to rob a bank. I'm going to kill someone, take their identity, pretend to be them for a week. I'm going to convince people that I'm this person. And there's nothing you can do about it because it's all stuck down with print stick. <laughs> going to do it just because I can. Yeah. I'd come, I'd, you know, just I'd for the... definitely forge an identity. I don't think I'd steal someone's identity. I think I'd just create a new one. Hello, I'm Lady Flipperbum exactly. from the Netherlands. <laughs> yeah. Give me your gold. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I would do. Yeah. Me I'd be too. like, look, I have the documents to prove it. <laughs> I'm royalty. <laughs> look at the way I speak. Would you ever doubt me? <laughs> I think not, good sir. <laughs> Where are the crumpets? <laughs> That's, I'm gonna. I'm taking that. I was like, hang where on. are the crumpets? Where are the crumpets? <laughs> that right, was so, ridiculous. I know. ridiculous. <laughs> so he's on the run, and Sabraj then turned his attention to Turkey and Greece, where he continued with his criminal activity. And his brother Andre came out to join him, and they grew quite a reputation. Bad boys in Greece, in Turkey. Ooh. Charles, however, was caught again in Athens. And managed to escape again and left his brother behind. He's a bit of a dick, isn't he? He is a bit. He's also not very good at crimes because he keeps getting caught. But he is good at escaping. Yeah, this is why he's called the serpent. Uh Aha. Because he can slip in and out. He's in and out. Oh, damn. Yeah. Oh, no, my brain just went. (laughs) I'm sorry. 
no, it went somewhere. <laughs> they should have called it the dick. In and out. In and out. <laughs> no, Helen. Sorry. So anyway, he continued his ways to shaft travellers by posing as a drug dealer, conning them out of money or stealing their documents. And this is how he fueled his life. So he just targeted travellers, like stole their money, stole their, stole their bits. In Thailand, he met Marie-Andrea Leclerc from Levis, Quebec. You know, Quebec is like a French part of Canada and yeah. they actually proper speak French there. The only reason there's a racing driver called Leclerc okay. and it's spelled like that. All right, yeah. Okay, but she's um, she's the lady that's in The Serpent, the show. And she actually played by someone that used to be in Coronation Street, which is great. <sighs> Going up in the world. I know. There you go. So they soon became a duo and they also gained followers by helping people. I'm doing the, the finger thing, two fingers. Air quotes. Air quotes. Helping people. This is, I mean, awful, but I find this actually quite amusing. So he was helping them in situations that he'd actually created. So, for example, he helps a couple of French policemen locate missing passports, passports oh. that he'd actually stolen. He provided help to another French man who had all of a sudden become very ill, but as a result of Charles poisoning him. Oh, my God. Yeah, so he did this quite frequently. So he would drug people. They would get very sick and he would be like, come with me, I'll nurse you back to... Like, There's I'll a name you. for that, like hero syndrome or something, isn't it? Is there? Like, yeah, where you sort of create situations to make yourself look good by yeah. fixing them. Yeah. And then there's Munchausen's by proxy, which is making people sick so that you can look after them. Yeah. The general allure that Charles and Marie had was that they would firstly entertain their guests or new friends at their home, but also promise wealth by supposedly dealing gems and crystals. So if you watch the show, they are very glamorous. She's gorgeous. He wears these wonderful suits and stuff. And they kind of pose as like these really high end, like high societal people that can offer people like basically what they would do is they would say I can sell you these gems but back home you can sell them for much more and they would give people drugs they basically were winning people over with all these promises and once again being charming is such a weapon isn't it yeah and whilst also taking advantage of these people he was then joined by AJ Chowdhury a fellow criminal he basically became Charles a second-hand man Sabrage wanted to start sort of like a criminal family, basically in the style of Charles Manson's. Like he just wanted this group of people around him to help. It's like a cult. Yeah, to help him do his bidding, you know, just a little network of... How arrogant. Yeah. So this is where it starts to go downhill. Now, these are the murders that we know of. Generally speaking, Charles was a very charming man, promising his new traveller friends a taste of the high life giving them opportunities to invest in gems. Like I said, he'd, he'd invite back to his home and they'd have these massive parties, but he'd also drug people so he could drop them. Oh, yeah. So, you know, he'd put a little something in their drink, they'd pass out, he'd take their things. Swings and roundabouts. You know, that's what he did. In October 1975, Teresa Knowlton, a 21-year-old from Seattle, was travelling the hippie trail and was looking to study Tibetan Buddhism. She, unfortunately, came into the company of AJ and Charles... And they enticed her with the talk of gems. That's how they got a lot yeah. of them, you know, I can help you make lots of money. Just buy these and we'll, you'll be rich. Charles asked AJ, because he was his little right-hand man, 
to invite her to a weekend at his home in Pattaya, in Thailand. It was all part of the act. Like, you swoon her sort of thing. You kind of get in there and you invite her out to our amazing home and show her some high life, you know? She's obviously happy. Yeah. She's been travelling the hippie trail. So I think a lot of the time it worked because they were slumming it. Yeah. So when they were like, come and stay at my five-star resort hotel slash house, they're like, oh, God, yeah, I want a bit of that. She accepted the invitation from the charming gem salesman. But then it's unclear on how or where. There's various resources suggest otherwise. But basically she was drugged and Sabraj slipped something into her drink. In the TV show, it's at a strip club. But then the, you look online and they say it was at a tea party or something. So at some point he drugged her because I think she knew a bit too much at one point like I think she kind of got a bit of a inkling that something Uh, dodgy about him so when so at his home he drugged her and they took off her clothes put on a bikini put her back in the car and they stopped outside of the town and Sabraj said to AJ take her for a swim (gasps) so he carried her down to the embankment swam out and just let her go Fuck. Yeah. So this obviously worked because she's just a tourist yeah. that could have had too much to drink, gone for a swim and drowned. Yeah. There's nothing to say suggest otherwise. So putting her in the sea in a bikini is a great cover-up, I suppose. It could have been anyone. She could have been anyone. She could have done anything. Well, yeah, you see stripes on a horse, you think a zebra. Exactly. So that's what they did. That is not how that saying goes. It's if you hear hooves, think zebra. Not horses. Something to do with zebras. What? I don't know. You and your weird little sayings. I'll never get over when you just reference Uncle Ben's randomly. Look, any good West Indian will tell you that they can relate anything to rice. All right? (laughs) I love rice. (laughs) If I can find a way to work rice into something, I will. I love it. (laughs) It's the keyhole, looking through the keyhole, whatever That wasn't Uncle Ben. That was Lloyd Grossman. Okay, one guy that has his face on a jar. (laughs) okay i see where you went with that yeah yeah, right so i'm sorry okay the next victim was young nomadic turkish sephardic jew vitali hakim whose burnt body was found on the road to the pataya resort where sabraj and his gang were staying so he was just on the side of the road another victim of his just burnt to a crisp how do you accidentally get burnt to a crisp? There was not a lot of detail on what actually happened, where he came from, what he was doing, but he obviously was just another one of his victims that yeah. he drugged and needed him dead. So they burned him. He didn't even try and make that look like an accident, though. Like, would you? You can't. No. Yeah. But he was just it a seems ran- weird. Just a random body on the side of the road. Yeah. Not random. That guy, you know, his poor victim. But in terms of the law, it's just like, oh, a body. Where did this come from? Yeah. So his next victims. These are a little bit more sig- significant in terms of like the story progression and how he kind of got caught. Do we know why he started killing them? Do you know what? I did actually try and find that out, but because the whole time I was doing this research and looking into him, all it just says was he just started killing people. I don't know whether it was because they knew too much about what he was up to or if he just wanted their shit. Like he just wanted them, he just drugged them. Maybe it went too far. They died from oh, like the overdose. Because yeah. to him and um, Marie was quite good with pharmaceutical stuff. So she knew how to like give syringes and she was good with the pills. I think it was just a case of kill them so we can take their things, take their identities so they could use the identities for 
Yeah. Further travel. Dead men tell no tales. Exactly. So his next victims were Dutch students. Henk Batanja. Sorry for my pronunciation, everyone. He was 29. And his fiancée, Cornelia Hemker, who was 25. And they were invited to Thailand after meeting Sabraj in Hong Kong. And he'd managed to persuade them to see what he had to offer in terms of gems. In the series, he bumps into him in a ring shop. Oh. And he wants to buy an engagement ring. And Sabraj is like, I can give you a better offer. Gives him his card. And then they then meet. So he offered them a good price. He basically said the same thing, like, if you buy these gems, you can sell them for so much more back at home. So they got involved with Sabraj in that way, so he would invite them to his his place. He's quite forceful, so when he wanted to meet someone, like, for example, I saw this in one of the documentaries I watched. He was trying to get a particular man to go meet him at his hotel, and the man declined. He was like, no, no, I don't really want to do that. And he just kept calling every morning. He was like, I'm sending a car for you, you're coming over. And then uh, he just didn't end up turning up in the end. And he said, I think that saved his life, just like declining. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So he was quite like persistent with these people that he met. Like he really wanted them to come to my place. I'll look after you, stay at my place. And then he would, I, I used the word grooming, but he would somewhat, I would say it was somewhat grooming them, like giving them oh, things yeah. that they would want, come across as really enticing, promising them wealth and promising them all these things to then eventually just... Do you think he like enjoyed having that kind of like power of persuasion? Yeah, like, I'm not sure. Perhaps, maybe he liked the feeling of that heroic feeling of I'm looking after you, and then give him a bit of satisfaction before then drugging them or killing them or taking their things. Like ultimate control. Yeah, just as he'd done previously, Sabraj had poisoned them, and he nurtured them back to health to gain their trust. So they were staying with him, and they were really unwell from his doing. And he was nursing them. As they were recovering, Sabraj was visited by his previous victim, Hakim's, the Turkish man, who was burnt. Ooh. He was visited by Hakim's French girlfriend, who was coming to investigate her boyfriend's disappearance. So obviously back then, like, it was a bit more hands-on. you got really no one to call or to go. you got to oh, fucking go find him myself. Well, yeah, I guess especially if it's, like, cross-countries. Yeah. Who so do you call? Yeah, but obviously she came to investigate. Oh, damn. And because of this exposure of his cover being blown, Sabraj strangled and burnt Henk Cornelia, the Dutch couple, and their bodies were found on the 16th of December 1975. Soon after, the French girlfriend, Charmaine, was also found drowned wearing a similar style swimsuit. Oh, my There was goodness. too much shit going down. He couldn't have the girlfriend knocking oh, no. about. She was asking too many questions. Killed her, drowned her the same way as other lady. Weird. Like, I mean, it's, it's quite inventive, isn't it? Put yeah. a bikini on her, make her look like she's drowned. Yeah. I guess if you put everybody in a bikini and drown them, people are going to start asking questions in it. Yeah. But surely burning them and leaving them on the side of the road, people are going to ask more questions. Yeah. Like, what was going on? Like, but we will hear more, a little bit more, a little bit about. The, the Dutch couple a bit later. Oh, okay. Yeah, a little bit. Their disappearance was kind of vital for his... Ooh, yeah. okay. But that's why it was called the Bikini Killer, because Aha. of the bikinis. Because he put bikinis yeah. on people. So it's happening. It's all going down. The day that the bodies of Britannia and Hemke were identified, Sabraj and Charmaine, his lady, 
they'd just been found. When they were found, he was off going to Nepal using their passports. Oh. Which is kind of a bit fucked, really. Like, the yeah. police just found two dead bodies. Him and Charmaine are off using them. And I guess also it's in the 70s. There's not going to be that kind of centralised database or electronic database to flag up and be like, this person's just been found dead. Well, they didn't know who the bodies were at the time. They just found the bodies. And I shouldn't have used the word identified, but they'd been discovered. Discovered. Yeah. So they then murdered 26-year-old Canadian Lauren Ormond Carrier and 29-year-old Californian Connie Ronzik. They then returned to Thailand once again using their latest victim's passport before the bodies could be identified. On his return, his three French companions had started to suspect him as they found documents belonging to murder victims and they fled to Paris after notifying local authorities. So I think the people that he kept in a circle weren't actually really aware of like the murders. Uh I think they were just kind of more like he kept them at arm's length. And they were just there to help him do certain things. But the dark shit, only his two accomplices. Almost like accessories. Yeah, Like he's collecting people. So Sabraj then went to Calcutta where he murdered Israeli scholar Avoni Jacob for his passport. And he used it to move to Singapore with Charmaine and AJ. He's getting about, isn't he? I need my map again. I know. In March of 1976, they moved back to Thailand. They were there... There, they were interrogated by Thai police in connection with the murders that were going on. Oh. Right? So then when they got back, the Thai policemen were like, right, we need to have a word. Because it was just too much. Just too much happening. But they were let off because the authorities were worried about the serial murders affecting the tourist trade. Because most of the murders that have taken place have been around near his home. See what I mean? Yeah. So they were like, hmm. Obviously, at that time, it was very integral for them that the tourism was booming because it was helping them. So the trio's next stop was Malaysia, where Chowdhury was sent on a gem-stealing errand. But then he disappeared after giving the jewels to Sabraj. And he was never seen again. So his right-hand man just buggered off. Ooh, or did he? No, honestly, you write in his name on Google, he's like, no one knows where he is. He's gone. Maybe he didn't want to be next. Yeah. Because I feel like when you work for someone like that, it's only a matter of time. Yeah. In it. You're just like, Ooh, you do something wrong. A bit too much. You make a mistake or something. And they're like, do you know what? I don't need you anymore. Bye. Yeah. You're dead. You're dead. So back in Asia, Sabraj started rebuilding his clan. He got two women named Barbara Cheryl Smith and Mary Ellen Ether. Their next victim was Frenchman Jean-Luc Solomon. They poisoned him in an attempt to rob him. But it didn't go to plan, so he ended up dying. I don't, their intention wasn't to kill him. Oh, okay. But he died. So this is where I think it really hit ahead. And this is like the beginning of the end. So obviously we've just discussed all of these murders because that's when it really started to fucking ramp it up a bit and things were starting to happen, talks were happening. Like That's when his criminal activity, I would say, was at its peak. But it was also like a hot time, especially because like, bodies were found and it was like, ooh. But this is where it really hit ahead, I'd say. In July 1976, in New Delhi, Sabraj, Barbara and Mary Ellen, his accomplices, they tricked a tour group of postgraduate French students, about 20 of them, into accepting them as guides. They were like, we're going to drug 20 people and steal their stuff. They gave them pills that they said were anti-dysentery medicine. However, as the drug started working, 
bit too quick, students were just passing out. No. They were just like dropping down where they stood. And the other students were like, shit, what is going on? And they told the police, like, we've been drugged. Yeah. And the police came. Oh, good. Yeah. So during interrogation, Barbara and Mary Ellen, they quickly cracked and they confessed everything, right? Sabraj was charged with the murder of Solomon, the French guy that they accidentally killed. And all four were sent to the Tahar prison outside New Delhi whilst awaiting a formal trial. Now, we're just going to jump back a little bit here. So, you know, the Dutch right. couple, yeah, Henk and Cornelia, their family became concerned because they had not heard from them in a while. In terms of timeline, this was probably like a bit prior, <laughs> but it made sense to put it here because everything is coming to a head now and he's now been caught. Basically, the family wrote to the Dutch embassy in Thailand, informing them that the last time they had heard from them, they had written to say they had met a French gems dealer under the name Alain Gautier. So he never used his actual name. He was always Alain Gautier. And a man called Herman Nippenberg, he's quite significant in this story. He was a Dutch diplomat and he worked at the embassy. He became really concerned himself personally and decided to investigate. He got a tip that a young Australian couple had been drugged and robbed by a French gems dealer. And he discovers the name to be... Elaine Gautier, right? He gets a lead from a friend, a woman, claiming she is the neighbour of Elaine Gautier, and he arranges an interview with her, and she tells Herman Nippenberg all about the goings-on of Charles Sabrage and his posse in their neighbouring area, because she lives next door to him, right? right? So she's saying, like, oh, there's a lot of shit's going on there all the time, like, oh, whatever, and so he's like, okay. He gets permission to do his search of Sabrage's apartment. They did find a load of evidence there was still not enough to press any charges. So this was like Herman Nipperberg, this became his thing, was to okay. investigate where this Dutch couple had gone. So I'm just putting that for context because yeah. it's actually like a big deal, really. Like his goal is to find out what happened to this couple. So this is all going on whilst Charles Sabrage is just like on his murdering spree, but he's now he been caught. he doesn't even know. Yeah, he's now been caught. He's now in prison. Herman's doing his homework I know there's a lot to take in there, but like there's like this going on. Charles is now being caught, but it will make sense when I round it up, right? So No, I love it. Okay, there's like parallel things spider going web. on. Spider web. Yes, a spider web, yeah. In 1977, he was acquitted on appeal of lack of evidence, but he remained in prison for his other crimes. And then in Tahar prison, it was a pretty rough prison. So both Barbara and Mary Ellen, his accomplices, they attempted suicide before the trial. It was oh, wow. that bad. Sabrage, however, you know when he first went to jail, he was like bribing Oh my him. God, yeah. He went to, he was like, give me some books. Yeah. Because okay. he was like a gems dealer. He concealed gems in his body, right? And he, hell. he bribed the captors. I'm not even joking. He had the most cushy prison life ever. Here, guys, I've got these butt diamonds. Do you, you do want, want my butt diamonds? I have my butt like, diamonds. He lived a life of luxury. He had his TV. He had gourmet food. He had whatever he wanted. He could walk in and out of the prison if he wanted. He gave <laughs> interviews to Western authors, a journalist. Like, he had an agent. You know, they would charge loads of money for that. Like, if you want an interview with Charles, God. you got to pay up. So he's just having a lovely time. He's a bit of a celeb. This know? is so messed up. Right? I watched a documentary where they went in to prison to interview him for the documentary they had to pay a load of money 
to interview him. But they were like videoing his cell. Honestly, it looked like a regular bedroom and he was making videos. He was doing recording. He had like everything just because he just paid his way to have all of this stuff. That's so fucking stupid. I know. Because people always always wanted to interview him. He freely talked about his murders, but he never actually admitted to doing them. If you watch an interview with Charles Sabraj, like, did you actually murder anyone? And he just looks at the blank stare. God. Right. In 1985, Indy agreed to Thailand's request to extradite Sabraj for the murders of the first two victims, Teresa Knowlton, who was found in the sea by the local fisherman with a bikini, and then the Turkish man, Vitali Hakim. But as he knew he faced the death penalty in Thailand, whilst he was in prison in New Delhi, he managed to throw a party, drug everyone, and walk out. But he was in prison! How did he do that? No idea. This is outrageous. <laughs> outrageous behaviour. Who's the serpent? He can slide in and out this whenever is, he pleases. This is even more, ba- more mad than when Ted Bundy escaped through the light fitting. He was like, like <laughs> let's have a party. He had, do you know what what they, is he in prison for? It was drugging people. And <laughs> he gave him the opportunity. Like, all right, mate. But I'm like, all right, we've, we've had a good thing going on, Sabraj, yeah. But like... Just if we give you these drugs and this party, yeah, just promise, you promise yeah. <laughs> you're not going to drug everyone and run out of here. Do you promise? And he's like, yeah, mate, don't, uh, you know, uh, those days are behind me. Like, what do you think I am? I'm obviously a good guy. Have some more butt diamonds. <laughs> like, <laughs> butt diamonds. <laughs> like, I'm just keeping these gems in my body. Hey, do you want a nose emerald? I'll pull them <laughs> Like, coughing them up like a snake. Like in Robin Hood, yeah, the, the Disney version. <laughs> like, um, was it the nurse when she has all that jewelry in her dress? Well, I'm thinking of the well, when he kisses his hand and he sucks oh, yeah. all the gems out of his wrist. <laughs> exactly that. And no, he's but, like, and they're like, oh yeah, all right, surprise, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't worry, mate. Cool, 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 cool. Um, but yeah, all right, all right. You look like you were about to put a drug in my drink. Then, but, oh, got me. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. Oh, lol, lol, lol. Fud. <laughs> oh, what a surprise. It, it, it just makes me laugh because it was like he pretended it was his birthday. Fuck. At a party. <laughs> they, could even, they, they have his file. They could have just been like, it's not your birthday, it's June. Eh? I know. I know. There's so much wrong with that. That is wild beyond my dreams. Right. Like, you can't even make that shit up. I know. Because but, people would be like, that's not real. But this is why he was so he was so well known because of the kind of... It was always hitting the news. Like, all of these articles. Bearing in mind, there was a lot of talk about the murders. It was all in the papers. And then he was going in and out of prison because he was linked to the murders. Him going in and out of prison... Him then escaping, he became a bit of like, I wouldn't say an icon, but that's why... He's like Houdini. Yeah, but this is why he gained a yeah. lot of like media interest. I can see why. This is why he kind of had an upper hand in prison because, you know, people were desperate to speak to him about what was going on because at the time, like, let's put it contextually, the hippie trail, thousands of people do it. Yeah. Like, loads and loads of Europeans and Westerners are going missing and that's going to hit the news, isn't it? Yeah. Let's face it. Yeah. And because he's the guy at the centre of it all... People want to know who he is, like this elusive guy that is just going under these fake names, stealing identities. You know what I mean? So he became a bit of a celeb. But I just want to reiterate, basically, just if anyone didn't understand, because it took me, I had to just read it over a few times to get my head around it. He was in prison in India, in New Delhi. And because he was being charged for murders that he committed in Thailand, Thailand were like, we want him over here because... Here, he's going to face the death penalty. So Sabraj was trying to 
deter from having to go back to Thailand. Yeah. That's why he escaped. If anyone just needed a little bit of a breakdown of a refresh. that. Yeah. And because in Thailand, he would be put to death. Yeah, he would be put to if death. So he was, however, caught in Goa. And he had his prison term prolonged by 10 years, just as he had hoped. But delays in the Indian legal system meant that the prison break case did not come to trial for several years. So by which time the Thai authorities had lost interest in having him extradited. What? So accused of at least 15 murders across 10 countries, by the time he had left Indian jails in 97... His alleged crimes had fallen under the statute of limitations in Thailand. So on February 17, 1997, 52-year-old Sabraj was released with most warrants, evidence and even witnesses against him. They were lo- it was long lost because it had been so long, right? So witnesses are just... Bleh. He is smart, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. He's very smart. Right? So without any country to deport him to, Indian authorities, they just let him return to France. He managed to just, like, delay everything. And then by which time, yeah, they just were like, oh, oh, fuck it, why not? Yeah, let's just let him out, yeah. He made a bit of a mistake here. So in 2004, he was caught again because he returned to Nepal under a false identity, but he was quickly recognised. And with the help of Nippenberg's extensive case against him regarding the Dutch couple... He was sentenced to life imprisonment for the 1975 murders of the two Dutch tourists and he was sent to a high security prison in Nepal from 2003. He received a life sentence in August 2004 and would serve 19 years of a 20-year sentence. On December 21st, 2022, right. Nepal's top court ordered the release of Sabraj from prison on health grounds and he was freed just literally 23rd of December, just gone. And he is expected to return to France. You could literally write Charles Sabraj and there are videos of him on trains and just chatting. He's out. He's about. He's living his life. That's mad. Yeah, he did. Like, you literally Google. If you YouTube Charles Sabraj, you'll no, just I'm see scared, him. I'm scared because now what if he hears this and someone sends it to him and then he's like, do you know what? I'm, I don't look good in a bikini. Yeah, that's all wrong. Um, so he's just living his life. You can go and interview him if you want to, but he'll charge you through the arse for it. And that's him. That's Charles Sabraj. He's a little cheeky old man now. Terrible man that did terrible things, but... He's done so much. I know. This is baffling. Right. Because he's done so much, yeah? Mm. He's killed a lot of people for not really a lot of motive in horrible ways. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And he's just out there living his life now. Yeah. Right? But he... we There's been so many other people who have done way less... Ruth Ellis, she killed one guy. Mm. She was hanged. Mm-hmm. I know. The thing that confused me is like during the time of me researching this, it was kind of difficult to pinpoint actually what evidence led to his conviction of murder. So obviously Nippenberg had enough by the time Charles Sabraj returned to Nepal way later on in life. But initially... I think it was difficult for them to pinpoint these murders on him because he never admitted to doing any of them. I just... He was released from prison on account of his age and good behaviour. Like, do not drug anyone else. And he was deported to France and will not be able to return to Nepal for at least 10 years. So off you pop, mate. Don't come back. 
he for a while. Well, he can't take anyone's passport anymore, that's for sure. Why not? Well, he can't. It's all digital, isn't it? He can't. No, he'd find a way. He's yeah. just going to pull an emerald out of his ass and fucking, I don't know. Here you go. My goodness. That was Charles Sabraj. Thanks for that, Helen. Definitely, if anyone was interested in that story and they really want to like a feel for what it was like, definitely put on the serpent because I'm really enjoying watching it. Get a real feel for what it was like at the time. Well, I, I suppose, I don't know, I wasn't born then. You get a gist of that kind of, well, it glamorises the whole thing quite a lot. I feel um, like that just all wrapped up so quickly. No, it did. It just yeah. kind of just all happened. One, bah, bah, yeah. bah, bah, he was bah, just bah, in bah, prison bah. and then he wasn't. Yeah. Lord. But like, if you you'd fucking laugh if you just see a video of his prison cell before he was released, it is mad. There was there's a documentary called How to Become Friends with a Serial Killer. I think that's the name, something like that. How to befriend a serial killer, and that's about him. And they when they did their interview of him, they literally did it in the street outside of the prison because they weren't supposed to do it. But they managed to pay and bribe the prison guards to let them interview Charles, who also needed paying. So they just did it out back in an alleyway with a whole camera crew, and Charles just sitting there on a little little plastic chair. And they even went into his cell. They saw video footage of him. Like he would video himself in his cell and sell these videos to whoever wanted them. Oh my god! Yeah, it was just messed. It was just mad. Car, I was really busy when he was being sent back to France. Wait. I had a baby. That was that was why I had this would have this made the news, but I never even saw it. I just can't believe he's just out there walking around. He's aged well. <laughs> no, I, love that. I just love that picture of him on the train. There's like a tweet of him on the train. There's a picture of him on a plane. Mm. Oh, it's and a plane. the people next to him, the woman next to him is literally like, What the fuck? Who are you? <laughs> yeah. Someone sat me next to a serial killer. <laughs> Imagine that, getting on a plane and then you're like... Yeah, and he's just like, hello. Hello, I'll have the beef, please. Next time on Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard, we'll be looking at the Black Widow, La Madrina. It's Griselda Blanco. Wow, you sounded really great when you said that. Thank you, I tried. (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you never miss an episode of Devils in the Dark. And don't forget, you can find us on Instagram at Devils in the Dark. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please do check out the description for lots of helpful resources. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.